When most people talk about knowing their ABCs, they're referencing the alphabet. But here at Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA, we're talking about the ABCs of behavior. Each week, we'll discuss a topic in the world of animal training and break down the science of behavior change. One of the great things about behavior and training is that it relates to animals of every kind. So whether you're training a lion or a tiger or a bear, oh my, or your pet at home, this podcast is for you. So without further ado, let's talk some training. Hello and welcome to Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA. Today we're talking about bridging stimulus with special guest Marnie Wood. This podcast is presented by the ABMA or the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, which is a not-for-profit organization with a membership comprised of animal care professionals and other individuals interested in enhancing animal care through training and enrichment. The ABMA continually strives to advance intentional and enlightened behavior management through operant conditioning to improve the lives and welfare of all animals. If you'd like to learn more or become a member of the ABMA, visit us at our website at theabma.org. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you are joining us today. I'm your host, Shane, and I am a current ABMA board member and self-proclaimed behavior nerd. For anyone joining us again on the podcast, thank you so much for coming back. We're excited that you are still with us to continue to talk about behavior. The goal of this podcast is to implement one of the goals of the ABMA, which is to continue the spread of knowledge and sharing throughout the animal care field. Each episode, we will break down one topic that involves the science of behavior change and animal training. We want to provide a resource for newer trainers to learn and for experienced trainers to be refreshed. Even though the content you hear in this podcast reflects the views of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views of the ABMA or the board of directors, we think that the diversity of subjects and viewpoints represented by animal care professionals from around the world is one of the strengths of this organization. Some things you agree with and others may challenge your perceptions and ideas, but we encourage you to listen to all that you hear with an open mind because you might be surprised by what you learn. We are excited for today's episode because it has been something that multiple people have reached out to us asking to cover on the podcast. So just as a reminder, if you have anything that you would like to be discussed, please reach out to us on any of the ABMA social channels or by emailing abc at theabma.org. After all of that suspense, let's get to today's episode, which is titled Whistle Click Good, all about bridges and the bridging stimulus. And to help me talk about that today, it's Marnie Wood. So thanks for joining me today, Marnie. Thanks for having me, Shane. I'm super excited to be here. And I'm excited to have you as well. So Marnie know each other because we started in the same class at ABMA Board of Directors. I feel like we're back in high school. So Marnie and I started on ABMA's board at the same time a couple of years ago. So Marnie, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your journey through the animal care and training field? Sure. I started my career back in the day. I'm not going to give dates because I don't want to reveal anything, but I started back actually as an education intern at the Beardsley Zoo in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is where I'm from, and really enjoyed my time there, really enjoyed working with those animals and being in the education department. Then moved on to Six Flags Marine World in Vallejo, California, where I was a seasonal there for the summer and really began to love marine mammals. So I decided that's where I wanted to go. So I ended up down in Miami 
at Miami Seaquarium, where I worked there for 15 years. I started out as an apprentice trainer, working with seals, sea lions, bottlenose dolphins, Pacific white-sided dolphins, and of course, a world-famous killer whale, and worked my way up to be manager of animal training. Once I left Miami Seaquarium, I went to Zoo Miami for a great opportunity with their ambassador department. And now I am working there as the animal science manager of animal engagement and outreach and super happy to be there, getting involved with a lot of different animals. And that's actually where I decided I wanted to become involved in ABMA. I had been heavily involved with IMATA for many, many years, having been a marine mammal trainer, but now moving over to the zoo world, I decided it was time to get into that side as well. So that's why I decided to join the board at ABMA and have been with them ever since. Yes. And it's one of those really cool transitions, I'm sure for you, because ABMA and IMATA, we just had our first joint conference ever in March of 2023 at Atlanta. We really are two organizations that have very similar goals, very similar values, like-minded organizations. So pretty cool that you have got to experience both of them. And we're happy to have you on the podcast today to continue talking about behavior. Well, thanks, Jane. Yeah, I think this last conference was amazing. And I can't wait to see the two organizations work more together in the future. Agreed, because we all are here for the same reason, which is to give our animals the best lives possible to provide the best care and the highest state of welfare and well-being for all of our animals. So with that in mind, let's jump into today's episode, which I thought was kind of a fun title. It's called Whistleclick Good, all about bridges. And this is something that we mentioned earlier. A couple of people reached out saying that they want a little bit more information on and excited to start talking about more of the tools that we're using while we're training. So let's start with a definition. A bridging stimulus is a stimulus that pinpoints the precise moment that a specified behavior is emitted. This stimulus is a conditioned reinforcer and is thought to bridge the gap in time between when the behavior occurs and when the primary reinforcer is delivered. Common stimuli used include whistles, clickers, words, etc. And some other names that you may have heard use instead of bridging stimulus. It's also known as a bridge, an event marker, a marker, a marker signal, a marker stimulus, and a marking stimulus. Maybe some other ones. That's as much as I could find of what people might call it. But generally, a bridge, bridging stimulus, marker, all those things, we're talking about the exact same thing. So Marnie, now that we have a technical definition of a bridge, can you talk about how we use a bridge in practice and what that looks like? Of course. Yeah, that's that's a big mouthful, all of those words all together there, right? I will break the magic a little bit. I just had to redo that multiple times because I was getting tongue-tied. Well, we don't typically refer to things in their full definition, right? We we know them as, you know, other ways, things that are more commonly understood to us. So I, I get that. So a bridge in practice is used a couple different ways, really. Um, in the training process, obviously. In the training process, a bridge is used to mark the exact moment that an animal is doing something correctly. So it tells them, yes, that that you just did right there, that is correct. It's also used 
when a trainer is not able to immediately reinforce a behavior. So let me give you a little bit of an example to kind of visualize it a little bit better. This is one that I use often now that I'm in the zoo world. I usually use a bird in flight as an opportunity to explain a bridge. So there's a bird flying in the air. It is extremely difficult to throw reinforcement, namely a peanut or a seed, to the bird while they're flying, right? That's pretty much impossible. To give you a marine mammal definition, a dolphin. Dolphin is out in the middle of the pool and they're doing a jump remotely, so not close to you. It is impossible to be able to throw that fish or that reinforcer out to that animal at the exact moment that they are doing something correctly. So instead, what we do is we blow our whistle or use our marker, our verbal bridge, whatever it is, in order to connect the gap between when they do that behavior correctly and when they receive their reinforcement. That's why it's called a bridge. <laughs> Because it is doing just that. It is bridging the gap in time between when they're doing the behavior and when they get their reinforcer. I love that example. And I honestly had to tell you, I imagined you trying to throw a peanut up at a bird flying overhead. Yeah, I use that example a lot. Um, even in our presentations, I talk about it. And I, I always mention that I am a trainer, an animal trainer, right? I'm not a professional baseball player, professional football player. I do not have that kind of aim. So that is not something that I would ever be able to do. I will say, though, that I think all of us that have animals that we're throwing food to, I've noticed this, that I've gotten better and better at being able to throw that. So I always tell people when I'm talking to guests, it's, guests is a joke that never challenge an animal trainer to cornhole because we're, we're used to throwing smaller items into animals' mouths. That is actually really true. When um, I used to work with sea lions, I could tell when I hadn't worked to sea lion in a while because my aim was off. <laughs> well, that is awesome. Getting back to bridging and that perfect example of why we're using bridges and giving that communication, bridging that gap in time. And we kind of touched on this topic in our definition and in the title of this episode, though, because there can be a wide range of things that can be used as a bridge. A bridge is a concept. It's not a specified thing. So, Marnie, can you discuss some of the types of things that can be conditioned as a bridge? Of course. There can be a ton of different things that can be used as bridges. And I am in no way going to be able to cover all of them. So, please don't judge if I forget one. But it can be a many number of things. It can be a sound. So, like a whistle or a tone. I know a lot of marine mammal facilities use underwater tones as bridges. Uh, it could be a word, for example, good or nice or yes. It can also be a clicker, like you mentioned in your title. It can be a visual. So things like a point or even a light. It can be something like a tactile bridge, a tap or even a splash. We used to use those at my old facility. If an animal was out doing, let's say, a remote fluke wave behavior, we could splash the water at them, which is essentially a tactile bridge because the water would then touch them when we could not. So you can use a splash bridge. There's so many options out there. I honestly, I don't think I could even begin to name all of them. Whoops, I was muted. My cat was meowing, so I muted it. Anyways, <laughs> so what you're saying, Marnie, is that 
basically anything can be a bridge. Yeah. Definitely. Yes, yes. And that is because I'm, I wasn't definitely setting us up for our next discussion point because we talked about all those different things. Like Marnie just gave a ton of examples of so many things that be, can be a bridge. And that is because a bridge has to be conditioned. So because of that, really, you can condition about anything, whatever works practically for your animals and for your situation. So Marnie, can you explain a little bit by what we mean and that process to condition a bridge? Yeah, sure. So a bridge is known as a conditioned stimulus, right? So that means that they don't innately understand what it is. They need to be taught what that, what that is, right? So in order to condition a bridge, you need to go through a couple different steps. You need to pair that unconditioned stimulus with an already existing stimulus. So in this case, we're going to use an established reinforcer, which most often is food. So what you're going to do is you're going to blow your whistle, click your clicker, say your word, whatever your bridge stimulus is that you decide, you are going to do that. And then you're going to pair that with the condition stimulus or the reinforcer. So bridge, reinforce, bridge, reinforce, bridge, reinforce. And then eventually repeating this over and over and over again. So repeating this pairing will create that association between the two. And then eventually that completely unconditioned stimulus will then become a conditioned stimulus. And I think that's really cool that you just ended with that, with saying that before this process, the bridge means nothing to the animal. It doesn't have any type of connection with that. And through the process that Marnie just eloquently laid out, they can learn to pair that. And that kind of goes into, we're not going to get too far into it, but classical respondent conditioning. Since we talked about opera conditioning way back at the beginning of the podcast, I was waiting for this episode to kind of bring this up a little bit and to give everyone a definition, because you know how much I love my definitions here on the podcast. Classical respondent conditioning is a form of learning in which an organism comes to respond to a new stimulus through repeated stimulus-stimulus pairing, which is exactly what Marnie just laid out. And that's the key difference between classical respondent conditioning and operant conditioning is in respondent conditioning, you are pairing and operant conditioning behavior is learned follow, based on the consequences that follow it. So kind of a cool little example of using respondent conditioning and training is training a bridge. So as we just learned how we are going to teach an animal a bridge through that process, if we look at the ABCs of behavior, looking back at episode five with Nikki Boyd from San Diego Zoo, she talked about the ABCs of behavior and we had a couple episodes following that talking about antecedent behavior consequences, the ABCs of behavior. And if we are breaking down when a bridge happens, a bridge follows a behavior, making it a consequence of the behavior. And thus a condition bridge is a reinforcer. Marnie, can you explain that concept and how we use a bridge as a reinforcer in practice? I would love to, Shane. <laughs> so a bridge is actually known as a secondary reinforcer or something that the animal has to be taught or conditioned to understand. So just like we had talked about earlier about an unconditioned versus conditioned stimulus, there are unconditioned reinforcers versus 
conditioned reinforcers. So a bridge is a conditioned reinforcer, also known as a secondary reinforcer. So let me kind of backtrack a little bit and explain a little for those that aren't familiar. There's a couple different types of reinforcement. There's primary reinforcement or primary reinforcers, right? Which is a stimulus that is innately reinforcing due to species history. So there you go. I got that definition in there for you, Shane. <laughs> Woohoo! So it's also known as an unconditioned reinforcer. So it's something that's naturally reinforcing to them. So the things that we think of for primary reinforcement is primarily food, right? Those are just naturally reinforcing. I know I love me a good pizza, so you don't have to teach me to do that. So it's the same with the animals, except not pizza, right? So that's what a primary reinforcer is, something they don't need to learn to, to appreciate. A secondary reinforcer is a stimulus that becomes an effective reinforcer by being paired with an existing reinforcer. So essentially what I just talked about in how we condition a bridge. So it's something that they need to understand or be taught to enjoy. So that's exactly what a bridge is, right? A bridge is a secondary reinforcer because it's been paired with an already existing reinforcer, namely food. And it's been conditioned to be associated with that reinforcer. So that actually makes the bridge the strongest secondary reinforcer that there is. I Before we go on, I just have to point out something really funny that you said. I don't even know if you realized it when you were like, pizza is for me. And then you kept going on and you're like, except don't give animals pizza. Yeah. I, I mean, I say that only because I do work at a zoo now and there are so many people that don't understand that and they feed them popcorn and pizza and all sorts of things that can make them very sick. So I just automatically go to that. Don't give animals things that they're not supposed to eat. Always, always a smart thing that we should all remember and all put in to practice. But that was really cool. I also wanted to let everyone know that we are, we do have a future episode plan where we're going to talk about reinforcers and that difference between primary and secondary re reinforcers in more depth. So Marnie, you did a great job of giving us a little tease to that and helping us to understand a bridge through that. So hang tight if you're interested in learning more about that. So glad I could tee that up for you, Shane. Yes, you did perfect. We actually did not plan that. And and no, you can't necessarily believe me, but please, podcast listeners, believe me when I say that. That was just completely natural. Don't feed you're your with pizza. Yeah, you're welcome. So we, Marnie just went through and we talked about like how we're training a bridge, what that looks like. But if we are in that process, how do we know if an animal understands a bridge since it does have to be conditioned? That's a good question. Sometimes it's hard to know, but... Most cases, a bridge is conditioned to be terminal. So what that means is when they hear that bridge or see that bridge or feel that bridge or whatever stimulus you've decided to use, they are supposed to stop what they're doing and return back to their trainer to be delivered some form of reinforcement. Okay, so we know that if they understand the bridge, they're going to stop what they're doing and come back to you. So if you see that behavior, then that's a pretty good indicator that they understand what the bridge means. You also may see a change in behavior when an animal associates that sound or visual or whatever your bridge is with a reinforcer, their behavior is going to change because they're anticipating what's coming next. They're anticipating that reinforcer. So they 
they'll have maybe, um, you know, an excitement response or they're eager. Um, so you can notice that change in their behavior as well. And what are some common examples of things that if we're teaching an animal, say we want it to be a verbal bridge, but we notice that they're not necessarily responding to that bridge. However, they might be ending their behavior because something else is happening. Can you give some examples of what that might look like, what the animal might think your bridge is and give examples on how people can work through that? Yeah, so that actually happened uh, at the facility that I'm at. Recently, we were working with a alligator and we were working on training him a target behavior. And we were pairing that, we were working on that with a whistle bridge. So we would bridge, reinforce, bridge, reinforce. However, we were kind of noticing that if we didn't go to reinforce him afterwards, there was a different response. So essentially he wasn't responding to our bridge of the whistle. He was responding to the bridge of us moving to give him that reinforcement. So he was responding to the movement, not the sound. So we accidentally conditioned him as that being the bridge. That happens often. That happened as well with uh, our Amazon parrots. With them, we didn't really have a bridge. So that kind of accidentally became the bridge. They saw the movement towards the reinforcement pouch and they took that as the bridge and they would terminate. So you need to be aware when you're working on these behaviors with animals, what you're doing and how your body language and your behavior might be affecting the conditioning process. One of the important points to have with this discussion is that you can make your hand reaching towards something, your body movement, a bridge, as long as you understand that's the bridge that you have conditioned. Because if you think that the animal is responding to a verbal bridge, but what they're actually paying attention to is your body movement, you're going to probably see different responses like you just said. So it's all about knowing exactly what the bridge is. I was just talking with someone that said that they realized that their bridge was moving their hand. They decided that it was working, that the animal understood that, so they kept it. So it's all about being able to tell how your your animal is responding to that bridge that really matters at the end of the day. Yeah, and I definitely think it's important to recognize that just because that might not have been what you were intending, that doesn't mean that it's bad or that it's wrong. So thinking, you know, outside of the box, maybe that's not a a normal bridging stimulus that the facility was using, but if it's working for that animal and it's having the desired effect, then that's okay. Go with it. Exactly. Could not have said that better myself. Now, another question that someone asked when they were saying that they wanted us to talk about bridging stimulus was they asked, can an animal know and understand multiple types of bridges? Absolutely. I have experience with several different species of animals understanding many different kinds of bridges. Dolphins, for example, we had a whistle bridge, we had a tactile bridge. We had a splash bridge, sea lions, we had a tactile bridge, a verbal bridge, and a point bridge. So it's just about whatever you condition. So it's just about however much time you have. If you want to condition all the bridges, go for it. I think it's important too that people use bridges in different ways. So things might work like we were talking about before. 
in one scenario, but it might not work in another. So that might be a reason why people would want to condition multiple bridges. For example, in a show scenario, you're not going to want to use a whistle bridge when you're on microphone. That's going to sound terrible for the people that are listening to that. So instead, you might have that whistle bridge, but not use it in that scenario. So maybe you use a verbal bridge in that scenario because you can work it into your script or a tactile. So you don't even have to make a sound. So there's a lot of different reasons why people would condition different bridges to go along with different scenarios. Or if an animal is moving from facility to facility and one facility uses clickers, one facility uses whistles, they're still going to understand that bridge that they learn, but they might be learning a new one because that's what the team is used to. So lots of different reasons and ways that an animal can learn and know multiple types of bridges. So this is a another really big one that I really wanted to talk about in this episode. And it is, what do you do if you accidentally bridge when you didn't mean to? Because this is going to happen all the time. I actually did this literally two days ago at work. So Marnie, can you tell everyone what to do if this happens? Yes, this does absolutely happen all the time. It happens to even the most experienced trainers. So don't feel bad, first of all, if this does happen, because it happens to everybody. You know, that's what I tell my eight-year-old anyway. Accidents happen, right? It's okay. So if this does happen, if you do accidentally bridge something, it's okay. Not the end of the world, but you don't want to make that accident even worse by then going ahead and reinforcing that poor choice of bridge. So basically, you just want to recognize your mistake. Oops, made a bad bridge. Move on. So whether that means, you know, moving on to the next behavior, doing that same behavior again, whatever that means, but don't make it worse. Don't confuse the animal even more by following that up with another type of reinforcement. But yes, thank you, Marnie, for talking through that, because it is something that is going to happen at some point in time. And the really, I like how you said, don't put more attention to your accidental bridge by reinforcing them with primary. Just understand that it happened and then move on. And what I like to do is the next step that I do, I try to take a step back and make it really clear to the animal what we're looking for, bridging and reinforcing that, and then maybe going back and moving on with the next step in your approximations just to give them that information that this is exactly what I'm looking for. Here's some food. Now let's move on and go. Because it's going to happen to all of us. It's going to happen, especially if you are teaching Animal New Bridge. If you are used to a whistle and now you're going to a clicker, you're going to have to practice that as well. Absolutely. To end our discussion today on bridges and the bridging stimulus, I wanted to discuss the importance of the timing of a bridge and also what happens following a bridge. So Marnie, what can happen if we bridge too early or too late? So the bridge is one of, if not probably one of, if not the most important training tool that we have when we are training animals. So it communicates to the animal the exact second that they're doing something correctly, right? That's why they call it a mark or a marking stimulus because it's marking that brief moment in time where we would like to say, yes, that's correct. So bridging is hugely important when you're training new behavior. A, a bad bridge can lead to a lot of problems with behavior, including you know, superstitious behaviors. You know, that's the accidental bridging 
of a behavior that's occurring at the same time as your intended behavior. So if you're accidentally bridging that over and over again, you've created this now superstitious behavior. So then it's a completely different behavior than what you had intended on in the first place. So bridging is extremely important. So let me just kind of give you an example of a behavior that was intended to be trained and then what behavior actually came out of it based off of the bridging. So this is something that I always use to explain bridging to people because it's pretty easy, easy to visualize. So it's a dolphin example. So I apologize for all my land people out there. Um, but hey, dolphins are so fun. Of course they are. Of course they are. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to mix both in here. So I appeal to the masses, you know. <laughs> so this specific behavior we called a fluke pop, which was essentially the dolphin slapping their tail flukes on the surface of the water. So we know that that's a behavior that can indicate a lot of different things in dolphin language. Um, and it's useful to explain a lot of different things with dolphins, for example, how they move their tails in an up and down motion. So we wanted to train this behavior. We called it a fluke pop. So there was a specific dolphin. We were working on this behavior. Well, I say we, it, it wasn't actually me, but the facility was working on this behavior. And the bridge was being delivered at the wrong moment. So the bridge was being delivered when the fluke of this animal was swinging in the upward movement instead of in the downward movement. So the behavior was to pop their flukes on the surface of the water, but because that bridge was coming at the wrong time, because I guess this trainer was not as experienced and didn't have you know, the mentorship that they probably should have, they were bridging that upward motion. And so instead of training fluke, pops on the surface of the water, they actually train like a fluke flick instead. So they trained that upward flick because that's what they were telling the dolphin was correct. So it's extremely important to make sure that the timing of your bridge is exactly what you want. So you need to think about what the behavior ultimately is going to look like. And that's the information that you need to communicate to them, what it is that you're looking for in that behavior. That kind of ties into something that we've talked about in multiple different podcast episodes with a lot of different people, which is the power that can come from having other people watch your sessions and providing you with notes and feedback because that person obviously didn't understand that what they were actually bridging. But by having someone filming you or watching you, they might from the outside be able to pinpoint exactly when you're bridging and be able to come back and say like, hey, I noticed that your bridge is a little bit late. When you're delivering the bridge, the animal is actually flicking their tail upwards. And that's a great way that you can learn and have that. And I just, I always want to impress on people. I always want people watching my training sessions because they're, when you're in it with the animal, sometimes you just don't see those things. So it's really important to be able to do that. And I think that's a great example of bridging a little bit too late and the animal ended up understanding a completely different behavior than what we thought we were training them. Absolutely. I think one of the most important training tools for animals is the bridge, but one of the most important training tools for people is that critique. I think that videotaping or having somebody there with you, because like you're saying, you are so in that moment, you're not actually realizing what you're doing. And this would happen to me all the time when I was learning water work. You know, I would think that I was doing something completely correctly, you know, for a rocket ride, for example, you know, where you come out of the water straight and then you, you know, launch off of the dolphin in the air. I was thinking, I am doing this. Why is this not working? And then I go back and I look at a video and I'm like, oh, wow, 
I am not doing that correctly at all. So it's a really helpful training tool for us as trainers to be able to go back and look at what we're doing and learn from that and then make changes off of that. So I 100% agree. I think that is a huge tool for us as trainers. It's amazing. It's all about that communication because as we end today's episode, I really enjoyed how you brought that up multiple times that bridging is such an important tool for animals because it allows us to give them very clear communication as we are training and working with them. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't just end with the bridge, right? So after we bridge, something has to follow, right? You were talking about the ABCs. So there's that consequence afterwards. So like we talked about with the bad bridges, you know, you, you make a bad bridge, an accidental bridge. You don't want to make that worse by then going and reinforcing that primarily afterwards. It goes the same way. You know, if something goes well, what comes after? That's going to be key as well to, to training your behavior. It's not just about the bridge. It's about the consequence that follows. So, you know, bridges are a secondary reinforcer in themselves, right? You don't always have to reinforce them primarily after every bridge. It's not necessary because you're telling them they did a good job and you're giving them that reinforcer with that secondary. You can, you can give them a toy. You can give them a primary reinforcer like fish or a nut or a seed, but it's not necessary. You can ask them for another behavior right afterwards, which is also very reinforcing. So there's a lot of different things that can come after that bridge that are also extremely important in conditioning that behavior. And ultimately, it comes down to paying attention to our animals and watching the behavior, seeing how they're responding and adjusting what we're doing as trainers if we need to give them different communication or if the communication we have with them is working great then keep rolling with it because ultimately it's all about following our animals behavior and giving them what they need and providing them with whatever information they need, whatever that looks like. And that is going to look different for every animal in every situation as well. Absolutely. Every animal, just like every person is an individual and some animals might find tactile reinforcing, for example, and others might not. So, you know, just knowing your animal, knowing what they find reinforcing, knowing what works for them. Like we talked earlier about the bridge, if something's working for them, that might not have been what you intended, then that's okay. It's working for them and it has the same desired effect. So knowing each animal as an individual, working with that in order to set everybody up for success. Amazing way to end our discussion on the bridging stimulus. We are moving into now one of my favorite parts of the podcast, and that's hearing specific training stories. So Marnie, do you have a training tale, a fun or interesting training story that you'd like to share with our audience? So I had to think about this for a little while, and I decided that based off of what we were talking about bridging, I would pick a story that kind of deals with that. Now, it's actually my very first behavior that I ever trained. So don't judge. (laughs) That's amazing. No, I'm so excited. Yeah. It was my very first behavior that I ever trained with an animal. And it was with a California sea lion female named Beely. She was an older female, adorable. She had red kind of circles around her eyes and she was virtually blind. And she had a unidentified lump on her kind of rear end, like her hip area. And she was a primarily feeder pool animal. So she wasn't trained on a 
ton of different behaviors. So me being this tiny little apprentice trainer, you know, who'd only worked in the field for a couple months, they decided, hey, let's give this behavior to Marnie and see what she can do with it since it wasn't crazy important. And if, you know, I messed it up, it wasn't the end of the world. But if I got something, it would be great. So what they wanted me to train her was basically just a exam where they would be able to palpate this lump so that they can decide whether they wanted to move forward with any sort of medical procedures for her. So I said, okay, they didn't really give me any guidance. They just said, we just want to be able to touch it. I'm like, okay. So I brought Billy out of the feeder pool and inside to the patio area where it was dry. And I was able to work with her a little bit easier, uh, easier, excuse me. Um, and basically I had this picture in my mind of what I wanted to do. I basically just wanted to train her a down where she just laid down and stayed still and allowed us to touch this lump. So that was my goal. So that's what I started doing. And then as this behavior kind of kept going, as we were able to touch Billy on her back end, it stimulated her to move her back end. So, you know, from whatever previous training she had, you know, touch in a specific area meant move that area, which is pretty common, right? That's how we train a lot of behaviors. You know, we'll tap an animal to get them to move their flipper or their fin or something like that. So that had been her previous experience. So me going to touch that area stimulated her to move. So I thought, okay, well, if this is what's happening, if she's moving when I'm touching her, you know, her just laying there and staying still isn't going to work. So I kind of had to backtrack and think about what else I could do and, and think outside the box a little bit. So what I decided to end up doing was teach her a behavior that at my old facility, we would call a screech. And it was actually the end part of a slide behavior. So if you guys out there work with sea lions, you've probably seen it before where a sea lion jumps up on stage, they slide on their bellies, and then their back end comes up and they make kind of like that L shape in that, you know, short stop moment. So I said, okay, let me see if I can train her the screech to have her lift up her back end. And that way we can actually get an easier look at this lump. So that's actually what I ended up doing. It ended up being extremely successful. She ended up doing this behavior. We ended up being able to palpate that lump. And we decided that we wanted to do a medical procedure to remove that lump. So it was a, a pretty good teachable moment for me as a new trainer because it taught me that things aren't always going to go as planned. And that's okay. Think outside the box a little bit. You know, use your imagination, use your creativity, and try to make something into a positive. And that's what I ended up doing. And it ended up working out perfectly. Amazing way that you were able to listen to that communication. And like you said, be creative, roll with the punches, know that each animal and each behavior is going to be different. It's okay if your training plan is altered, if it's what's better for the animal. Yes. Well, at the facility that I used to work at, we didn't actually require people to write training plans for that reason, because we didn't want people to, you know, stay within that training plan. If something went wrong, people are not able to think outside the box in those types of situations. And so we did not require that. So it allowed us to kind of be a little bit more free with our choices for newer trainers. I don't necessarily recommend that because it, it does create more challenges, 
but it helped me as a new trainer. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of torn on it, but I do think that training, you know, plans are helpful, but I also think that it teaches you not to think outside the box. So, you know, you kind of have to use it sparingly, if that makes sense. Yes. And once again, you are teeing us up because we have a future in the near future, an episode coming up talking about training plans, how to write them and that exact thing that you're talking about. So good job once again, Marnie, for uh, teasing future episodes. You're welcome. I literally had no idea, but you know, as long as I can help. You're always here to help. And I also have to, before we end, I want to say that when you were talking about this story, because I never heard it before, and you said that whenever people were touching her rear end, it was stimulating her. I thought you were about to say stimulating in a different way, not moving her flippers. Uh And I think the reason that was in my head was because the first behavior I ever trained was a Dexter cow named Bell in Columbus to get a voluntary anal thermo like anal temperature by voluntarily leaning back into it luckily nothing like that happened to me there was no stimulation from that from bill but as you were talking in my head i was like oh no is this where this story is going but i'm glad yeah. it didn't go that way maybe stimulation was the wrong word <laughs> hey maybe it'll keep people like me on the edge of our seats you know so we went I, there we went yeah. there I was glad that that didn't happen to anybody. Well, as we are now ending this conversation, talking about stimulation and the appearance <laughs> of animals. <laughs> Hopefully everyone's getting a little bit of laugh as we're ending today's episode. But before we go, Marnie, if anyone has any questions for you, is there a way they can reach you? Absolutely. Um, I can supply my email for Shane. He can put it up with the podcast. You guys can reach out through email. Also, I am an ABMA board member, so you can reach out that way as well through email. Click on my photo on the little board of directors page, and it will send an email directly to me as well. Perfect. And I will have those emails in the description of this podcast as well. So thank you once again for joining me today, Marnie. Thank you so much for having me, Shane. I appreciate it. And I hope this was helpful for people. I know it will be. And that concludes today's episode focusing on bridging stimulus. This, of course, just scratches the surface. So if you have any questions at all, please reach out on any of the ABMA social channels or by emailing abc at theabma.org. We'd love to hear from you because this podcast is made for you. So please, if you have any questions or topics that you would like covered, let us know. Special thank you once again to Marnie, James McAleb for our theme song, Ayla on the Beat, sung by the ever-talented Ayla the Sea Lion, all of our ABMA members, and to you for listening and joining in on the behavior conversation. If you aren't already a member, please consider joining the ABMA by visiting theabma.org as we all strive to better the lives of animals around the world. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and join us next week on Animal Behavior Conversations. In the meantime, thanks for joining us and happy training. And I think one of the important noits, uh, oh my gosh, noits, what is the word noits? (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what I was trying to say. Anyways, points, notes slash points, I guess, is what I combined in my head. One of my favorite parts of the top, oh my gosh, the top cast instead of topic. What is happening to me today, Marnie? (laughs) I I made you nervous. (laughs) I don't think it's that at all.